Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. All right, friends, welcome back to the Mass Effect Lorecast, or should I say Spectres? Welcome back. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, and I'm here, as usual, with Sam, N7 legend, Kung Fu Kangaroo. He has multiple names. What's going on, Sam? How, how are things? Uh, things are great. I'm super psyched for this episode. In fact, I took it upon myself shortly before, uh, while you were doing the patron chat with Cyberpunk Lorecast, I tweeted at uh, Jennifer Hale and Mark Mir, oh, nice. the voices of Commander Shepard, and tried to get them in on it and see if they could uh, just uh, watch the show for a little bit because this is going to be a big episode. We are covering the Protheans, the forerunners of the Mass Effect universe. The Protheans. I feel like you have to say names like Protheans, like in that, like, the Protheans kind of voice, right? The Codex voice. The Codex yeah. voice. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm going to work on that. Um, so, <laughs> so welcome, everybody. We are live. It is Sunday night at 1030 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash robots radio, where we do these shows live every week. And if you can join us, we'd love to have you. And uh, especially if you have thoughts and things you want to share in the chat, we will call things out throughout the show. So feel free to share your thoughts and feelings about things. And why don't we go ahead and kick this off? So um, take it away, Sam. What do, how are we starting this out? Sure. So the, to anyone who has uh, interacted with any level of Mass Effect, I think for longer than 10 minutes, you'd probably hear the name Prothean tossed around. Uh, but who are the Protheans, right? And that's such a complicated question with an even more complicated answer. Um, so I think we should probably start with the basics. And um, there is one Prothean that you get to meet in the game. His name is Javik. Uh, he is a squad mate. And um, you can awaken him in Mass Effect 3. But the Protheans are a bipedal race, four eyes they got four eyes and they have limbs that look kind of similar to Corians. uh so they have two toes and then like a back toe uh, and then they have carapace on their head uh similar to turians and their voice actually sounds similar to turians as well so hmm. their makeup is is it has to be dextro amino acid based because it's like the Corians, the Corians and the turians right they're kind um, of like a what like a skinnier more upright version sort of yeah yeah, they're very humanoid except for their head and their their um, like phalanges. <laughs> so. They're phalanges, man. I can't imagine having a back toe. That's got to be different, but useful. It's maybe? like a dewclaw. Yeah, but, it's like a dewclaw. But if you're yeah. like a human, <laughs> right, right. Um, but they were an ancient, hyper advanced alien race, uh, and they could transfer experiences through just physical touch. So they could like, you know, put a, put their hand on their, on your shoulder and transfer their entire like life's memories or like a specific memory to you in an instant. 
Yeah, that's and crazy. And that was like, uh, that was completely shaping how they communicated. Right. I can imagine that there are very distinct differences between a race that can do that and a race like humans where everything has to get filtered through language. Like, right. the concept so of many... like fact is so much easier to confirm if you can give somebody exactly the experience that happened and share that with them directly. <laughs> Oh yeah, and there's there's little room for error. I mean, of course, yeah. everything's perspective based, but they're sharing the exact memory. So right, right. you at least get a sense of what they experienced. Like you, you can you can see the the exact thing the way they experienced it. It's through their lens, through their experience. But at least you you can identify with that directly. Yeah. And when I was, you know, thinking about that, I, I was kind of thinking that that sounds a lot like the Asari and the, some Asari have the ability to kind of do this mind meld thing where they, you know, embrace eternity and, and whatnot like that. Mm -hmm. And they kind of like send your mind to a different dimension. And we're going to get into the relationship between the Asari and the Protheans a little bit later. But what you need to know is that the Protheans existed before all of the current intelligent races of Mass Effect, uh, the trilogy. Right. So they were they existed like at least 50,000 years ago. Um, and that's when they mysteriously vanished. So that is kind of where you're dropped in in Mass Effect 1. Um, but they were a super advanced uh alien race and one of the reasons that they became advanced was because it was through the discovery of the ruins of a previous advanced species which is super cool because it sounds mm -hmm. exactly like what happens with humanity and the discovery of the mars ruins of the protheans right so the the protheans come upon the ruins of a race called the inu Sanon, which was brand new to me. Like I had never heard this name before. Yeah, and I was researching this. It's spelled I N U S A N N O N. So if you if you are not familiar with this, that's what it looks like. And maybe pay attention because you might find it places. Yeah, um, certainly. So the Inu Sanon had like a bunch of they were they were a sprawling empire much like the Protheans were, and they were hyper advanced. And so this already sets up the, the, the theme of one civilization building upon the achievements of the ruin or the ruins of the achievements of the previous civilization. And as is a central theme with Mass Effect, once a civilization reaches its peak, they are cast down and made extinct by the Reapers. So presumably that is what happened to the Inu Sanon who existed 127,000 years ago. Uh, and then that their, their fall basically allowed the rise of the Protheans. And then the Protheans used their ruins, their technology to become more advanced themselves. And so, so this is very evident in one particular planet in Mass Effect 1. Some Mass Effect fans may remember Ilos from Mass Effect 1. Well, that's the very critical planet at the very end of the main story. And it's where a Prothean VI named Vigil reveals some details to Shepard that we're going to get into a little bit later. Um, but during the Reaper's extinction attempt of the Protheans, the Prothean scientists on Ilos went into stasis and the whole planet went dark to try and avoid detection from the Reapers. Mm -hmm. And that's what you learn at the end of Mass Effect 1 in a nutshell. Um, but before the Protheans were using Ilos, the Inusanan had actually used it as a research planet. And the Inusanan, the, the, um, their models, their textures, what they look like, was actually modeled 
after, and this is going to be, you know, a dated reference here, but the alien movie series, there's a character or a being that was, that's been dead for a while called the space jockey or the pilot. And their physical or the Inu Sanin's physical appearance was modeled after the space jockey or the pilot. Um, and that was confirmed by lead design team members. Hmm. So that's not just speculation. Um, but you know, that's where the Protheans got their technological prowess. I think, I think you can probably trace it back to them building on the ruins of prior civilizations. Uh, however, their society was also highly regulated. It was pretty strict. And according to Javik, the Prothean who I mentioned, uh, the Prothean squad mate from Mass Effect 3, uh, games of chance, like gambling, were actually punishable by death. Like, if you played cards or, or, or you know, yeah. uh, dominoes or, or <laughs> you were playing Yahtzee, oh man, God forbid you were playing Yahtzee, <laughs> and it's punishable by death. Why, why is that? Is, is there any reasoning why? They viewed any game that was not skill-based to be uh, a shame like a stain upon honor so okay okay yeah. because it takes so control out of the hands of the players and puts it to chance right yeah and they were not fans of that however they were fans of staring contests <laughs> which is 100 <laughs> percent in your own control <laughs> Yes, this is 100%. And with four eyes, it makes for quite the staring contest. Right, right. So they have staring contests, and apparently they were a common pastime. And uh, females, according to the wiki, would use these eyes to begin foreplay. Oh, oh. <laughs> so, so you got some sexy staring contests going on. <laughs> you walk in, in a room and you see, you see a lady just like staring at you and you go, oh. <laughs> and she just keeps staring and you're like hey there <laughs> and things are getting pretty heated even though nothing's happening right right <laughs> i can only imagine how that progresses since protheans transfer memories right when they're <laughs> with physical touch mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. just imagining that from a strictly lore point of view is uh hilarious so <laughs> their society speaking speaking of, of sexy staring contests <laughs> contests their society also didn't generally allow interspecies mating uh which is pretty common in mass effect one through three uh and andromeda and it seems to be more or less uh not just accepted but in, in the case of the astari it's actually encouraged because to if you're if you're an Asari and you only mate within your species, you're actually scorned. So this hmm. is the opposite for the Protheans. Prothean society kind of dictated that interspecies mating was of no no point. There was no point to it. However, there's a weird exception here. The Asari were not grouped into that. Hmm. Because the Asari, although primitive at the time, did exist at the same time that the Protheans did. And so, so, so did humanity. So they didn't consider them. I mean, it's it's interesting to say interspecies mating is out, except for this one and maybe this other one. Like, it's weird to have exceptions. It's weird to be so staunch about something and then have an exception. It is. It is super weird. Unfortunately, there's not much more written about it yeah. uh, besides that. But I think it's kind of to bring up the, the point that it might be possible that the Protheans had mated with the Asari 
And given what we know about the Protheans' technological prowess and how we later find out that the Protheans were responsible for culturally uplifting the Asari, uh, a greater picture starts to form that maybe this is why the Asari are universally skilled in biotics. Mm-hmm. What if this is a, a remnant of the fact that this quad DNA strand, the Protheans, had mated with the Asari even while they were primitive? And there's a lot of um, real world mythology like that, like human beings mating with quote unquote angels, which if the Asari were primitive, they might have viewed the Protheans as as some sort of Um, angelic visitors. Yeah. From from another world or or even had built a religion around them. Sure. Totally. Exactly. Um, And we'll get into that exact topic in just a little bit. And I can't wait to dive into it, because if we have any ancient astronaut theorists in the the audience, they are going to love this bit in just a a few minutes. But I want to talk first about another part of society. Okay. All right. Go go ahead, because I've got some thoughts on this, too, but we'll we'll get into it. Sure. Sure. Go ahead. So the Prothean Society also allowed uh, for the eating of other sentient races. Yeah, that's a that's a little bit weird. Yeah. Uh, so you got sexy staring contests and <laughs> don't mate interspecies, but the Asari are good. You can go with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and deep fried Hanar is on the menu. Um, I'm not that's not like me just riffing. That's actually part of like the, the game's lore. So basically, mm-hmm. when Javik is drunk, he admits to Shepard that dextroamino acid based races like primitive Turians and Corians were just as likely to be made ingredients in Prothean cuisines as primitive humans, Asari, Hanar, Salarians, or even Krogan. <laughs> and Hanar were either boiled or fried, and Salarian liver was considered a delicacy. Yeah, no, but that totally makes sense, though. On um, You know, and we've talked about this before. If you are so far beyond the capabilities of other races that you don't consider them just because you are uh, self-aware or technologically past a certain level of advancement doesn't necessarily mean that you are on par with them from a, from that kind of standpoint. Like, uh, l- uh, look at it from the perspective of, like, humans, right? Like, if you were starving on an island and you were able to kill a dolphin, would you eat it? Probably. If you needed to survive, are dolphins intelligent? Very. They're very intelligent animals. Are they intelligent as humans? No. But there's no there's no doubt that they are emotional and intelligent mammals. They are, you know. Is that too distinct? Is that too different from Protheans eating primitive humans? Like, I mean, as, as far as I know, there are some parts in the world where if you're hard pressed enough, you it's it's acceptable to eat monkey. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. You know, I think a lot of Westerners would certainly have a problem with that. Sure. Um, sure. Or dogs. Like some places eat dogs, you know, and how many of us have dogs and dogs? Dogs can be very intelligent and they can be very emotional and, you know, seem in some ways to be self-aware, you know, but they're, are, they, are they at the level of other species or humans? No. But yeah, like, it, it, you know, what is that? What does that distance have to be? And I think socially for every race in the universe that that distance is different and something's acceptable and some things are not 
So yeah, and yeah. although we can make parallels there, um, there is a jump between dolphins and sentients. So sure, you know, yes, because they're eating sentient races, right. and right. and so we're th- I'm thinking, you know, uh, like primitive humans, like Cro-Magnons and mm-hmm. Neanderthals, and <laughs> and Protheans were eating them, and it's just kind of funny. That might be where you know, in the Mass Effect universe, maybe that's where a lot of our myths in humanity come from, mm-hmm. um, but. Regardless, the Protheans are very advanced and that progress kind of leads them to encountering some of the same problems that humanity does and some of the same problems that the other intelligent races of Mass Effect encounter. Namely, the previous episode we just covered, the Geth and the Corians. So it turns out the Protheans encounter something very, very similar. Um, and it's centered around the conflict of organic versus synthetic life. And according to the wiki, um, I'm just going to read from the wiki here. Early in their development, the Protheans encountered a hostile machine intelligence which threatened to overwhelm them. To defeat the machines, the Protheans decided to unite all of the galaxy's sentient organic life under their own empire. The other organic races were free to, to, to resist, but those that tried were crushed, and none ever managed to best the Protheans might. In time, each of the subjugated races assimilated into Prothean culture and came to think of themselves as Prothean. United under a single cause, the Prothean Empire successfully held off the enemy machines in a conflict known as the Metacon War. Interesting. Yeah, so does this... They considered themselves Prothean, even though they weren't of the Prothean race. And the, <coughs> excuse me, and the Protheans could not mate with them. So it wasn't like they genetically integrated them into their species over time. So were they separate yet still? I mean, is this like the Roman Empire, where like the Romans take over, uh, you know, a, a foreign land? It doesn't matter which one is it, Egypt, and you're Egyptian, but now you're also Roman and you can go to the capital of Rome as a Roman, even though you're from Egypt and you may be distinct from the Romans, but you are still Roman. So as far as I understand it, it was a little bit uh, more harsh than that. They kind of made the races renounce their membership of a different group besides the Protheans. Mm -hmm. And they made, it was like the Borg, you know? Yeah. Um, So they were completely assimilated into something larger than themselves. Um, And even though there was a singular race of the Protheans, who is, you know, that is what Javik is. um, All of these, what the Protheans deemed as lesser races, um, came to be known as Protheans because they merely had been conquered. The Prothean culture. They were Prothean culturally. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... Even though they had a massive empire, and this is actually how they formed the empire, the the Protheans formed their empire because they all shared a common enemy, which was the uh, the Metacon War, the, the the intelligent machines that they had to fight. And even though they had a massive empire with truly impressive military strength, I mean, the Protheans conquered the entire galaxy. They still couldn't defeat the Reapers. And common knowledge has it that Prothean existence, you know, came to an abrupt end around 50,000 years ago, as I mentioned before. Uh, and that's before any of the galaxy's current intelligent species had gained space flight. Mm-hmm. And although the Reaper extension attempt was long and drawn out, like literally several 
hundred years. That's how long it took for this for the Reapers to wipe out the Protheans entirely. Um, the Prothean government, which was housed on the Citadel, by the way, uh, the Prothean government kept meticulous records and census data on every single planet in their empire. So, as to quote the, the wiki, the Protheans' greatest strength, their unified empire, proved to be their own downfall. Because that data could be used against them. Exactly. Right, to hunt and, them all down and, and double-check the numbers and make sure they were all wiped out. Right, so as soon as the Reapers gained access to the Citadel, it was kind of game over at that point. Um, and that is part of why the Protheans made their contingency plans with Javik, putting Javik in stasis. It's part of why they made their contingency plans with the scientists on Ilos, uh, because they understood very well that, okay, uh, the Reapers know it all now. They know everything. Mm -hmm. um, and the downfall of the Protheans is also the subject of Liara's research before she joins the crew of the Normandy. That's what she's researching. She's an archaeologist. And she's finding, she's basically trying to find out what happened to the Protheans. Kind of like, you know, in the Elder Scrolls, how uh, you are constantly searching for what happened to the Dwimmer. Right, right. But at least there's more of a conclusive answer here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You actually get some uh, some real information. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. So all, uh, all of it kind of... Just a, just a thought real quick. It, it's interesting that them being removed from the universe created this vacuum and the other species that eventually became space fearing or space fairing not fearing <laughs> space fearing space fairing races uh were were not hunted down because they were not at that level yet they evolved to that level over the next time you know time period or maybe not even evolved but they uh developed socially and, and scientifically over the next yeah. time period yeah so that's right. So Salarians, Asari, human beings, Turians, Corians were all around. Uh, however, they weren't hunted by the Reapers because the Reapers just didn't deem them worthy of being hunted. You know, they weren't intelligent or advanced enough, I suppose. Right. Well, it, um, it also seems like a numbers thing, because if if you were to go across, if you were to have to go after every single planet that had a race that was intelligent and potentially spacefaring, then that you would have to just it would, it would take forever. Right. Like. That seems like a waste of time. Wait until they become spacefaring, because even if they do, there's still a long period of time before they're going to get to the point where they are in any form a potential threat to the Reapers. Yeah, and it's kind of weird that the they don't really address this in the game, as far as I know. Um, but the Reapers act as if they're on a time constraint. They're like checking their watch, like, oh, come on. <laughs> and they're trying to speed up their extinction process it seems very hurried, like hurriedly. So I'm wondering if like they had a time limit, like if they couldn't wipe out a species fast enough, like, ah, oh, that's it guys. Game's over. We got to go home. <laughs> um, it's not really addressed in, in the game at all or in lore as far as I know. Uh, but it would be certainly something interesting to find out in later games. Mm -hmm. okay. Um, but all of this kind of begs the question, well, okay, well, when did the Prothean race begin? Well, like most details on the Protheans, that's unknown because most of the, the data and most of the records have been erased and wiped from the annals of history, uh, thanks to the Reapers. So the earliest archaeological discovery that current spacefaring species have made indicates that the Protheans were around at least at the earliest at 68,000 BC. 
that's a long time ago. Yeah. However, yeah. humanity has been around for about 300,000 years. The first Homo sapiens, that mm. is. Yeah. Yeah. The, the numbers um, on that usually span somewhere between 200 and 500,000, depending on where you want to put the line. But yeah, exactly. yeah something like that. Mm-hmm. So regardless, humanity, early, early humanity was around at the same time as the Protheans. And because the Protheans had ruins on Mars, we know that they had interaction with early humanity in Mm -hmm. Mass Effect. And in fact, a couple points in Mass Effect indicate that the Protheans had kind of perhaps shaped the course of humanity's evolution as well as the Asari's evolution. Or as the Protheans call it, they don't call it evolution. They call it the cosmic imperative, which is <laughs> like so lofty and, you know, uh-huh. hoity-toity. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> um, so basically, as I mentioned earlier, there's evidence from Thessia, the Asari homeworld, that their goddess, Athame, was actually a Prothean. And that they had been worshipping Protheans the whole time. Um, because there were these aids to a theme that taught the Asari astronomy and agriculture, which might account for how the Asari are comparatively more advanced than any other race currently at the top of the food chain in the Milky Way. But for humanity, here is the really, like, this is one of my favorite parts of the entire Mass Effect universe. I love this part, and I'm so glad we get to talk about it. Mm-hmm. As I already mentioned, there's evidence that comes from the ruins on Mars, which the game briefs you from the very get-go. That's in the opening credits. However, there's also a Prothean sphere on an uncharted world in Mass Effect 1 called Elatania. And if it's it's very easy to miss this. If you don't, if you're not a completionist in games like I am, if you just do the main missions and you just want to get through the main story, you definitely miss this because it's an optional side planet and it requires an optional side quest on top of that, which is an unmarked quest. Um, and so in Elatania, there's a Prothean sphere. And so I'm just going to read along, but basically Shepard is granted a vision from this Prothean sphere. Mm-hmm. And this is the text of the vision. It's given to the player via text. Uh, it doesn't display it on screen, but it's just given via text, like old-timey role-playing games. Love it. Right, uh, and I have it I have it here on the screen for people who want to read along. Oh, great. Yeah. So I'm just going to read through this real quick. Um, examining this strange Prothean artifact reveals a small, irregular slot on the underside of the surface. Remembering the strange trinket you received from the Asari consort on the Citadel, you pull it out and place it into the slot. The ball explodes into a brilliant flash of white light, momentarily blinding and disorienting you. Slowly, your senses return as you wake from a deep sleep. Uh, You are alone in the forest, though you are not far from the caves you you share with the others of your tribe. There is a pain and a small lump in the back of your skull as if a chip of flint has been forced under the surface of the skin. Leaning on your bone-tipped spear for support, you rise to your feet. A sound draws your attention upwards where a strange creature hovers high above you. It's unlike the birds you hunt by the lake's edge. It has no head and no wings, yet somehow it flies. It is a beast of shining silver, hanging motionless in the sky like a cloud. You sense it is watching you, studying you. Raising a hairy fist, you shake your spear at it in anger and the creature rises up quickly until it disappears from view. With a satisfied grunt, you make your way back to your caves and the rest of your tribe. You fall into the familiar patterns of life, the hunt for food, the struggle to claim and keep a mate, the battles against other tribes that would claim your territory. 
Days roll into nights and back into days, and each time you rise from sleep, there is the sensation that you are not alone, that some other is with you, sharing all you see, hear, and feel. At these times, your hand goes to the strange lump at the back of your skull, and you remember the silver creature in the sky. The air grows colder, winter falls. You must range farther for food, clutching the furs tight against you tight against you to ward off the chill it is on one of these long hunts that the strange bird returns you hear it before you see it its call a deafening roar as it descends from above swooping down on you a single great eye opens on the underbelly a glowing red orb you try to run but a finger of red light extends from the eye and engulfs you and all goes black again you wake an instant later to find yourself on elatanya lying on your back the Prothean artifact looming above you, undamaged, and your companions standing over you. They help you to your feet, puzzled. Quote, there was a flash of light, and you just sort of toppled over, one explains. Are you okay, Shepard? The other asks. You don't answer right away, wa- wondering at the implications of what you've seen, the memories of a crow magnet hunter captured by an implanted Prothean data recorder. How long did they study the primitive humans, observing them and analyzing the results at their base on Mars? And what, if anything, did they learn from us? Quote, I'm fine, you finally reply, realizing this is a mystery you will probably never solve. Forget about it. Dun, dun, dun. So the massive lore implication from that, uh-huh. right? Because what we've just discovered is that the Protheans were monitoring early and that they possibly shaped the evolution of early humanity mm-hmm. because there's other Prothean ruins that you discover on uncharted worlds and they're pyramids that mm-hmm. look exactly like the pyramids in Egypt. Right. Right. Yeah. And so you've watched ancient aliens before. I'm sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 I've looked into all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I want to get your thoughts on well, it. Well, in the real world, there's very little like, to, to, to put this out there, some people are going to believe this stuff and some people don't. And everybody has their own requirements for, for evidence and those kinds of things. I've, I tend to be very skeptic, very skeptical. I've studied a lot of these things. I've looked into a lot of them. I've spent a lot of time looking at stuff. Um, and a lot of that, like the ancient alien stuff, is based on more hope and mis, uh, uh, misrepresentation of evidence in a lot of cases and the ignoring of certain other counterfacts. Let's just say that. But... It's a fun thought. It's it's a really fun, exciting thing to think about. Um, unfortunately, I don't think in our world we have enough evidence to say that anything like that has happened. Um, but it would be cool if we did. You know, like I'm I'm not. If we all of a sudden came, like if somebody was all of a sudden discover like the smoking gun in that somehow, and you know uncovered an actual you know body or something you know, buried underneath an ancient structure, it would be like, holy crap. Okay. Yes. We've got, we've got legitimate data, you know, like we, we check out the DNA and it is nothing has nothing in common with anything else on the planet, you know, like, okay, yes, this is evidence, right? There is something going on here. Um, but it's fun that in stories like this, that we get that kind of stuff because there is a lot of, you know, potential for those kinds of storylines, this idea that human beings were sculpted and changed, you know, based on some sort of alien presence. I, I, you know, it's fun. It's a, it's a fun thing to play with. Yeah, um, certainly. And I, I kind of laughed um, when I first read that, you know, huge block of text with the, the, with the vision, because as it mentions in the beginning, that's just like kind of an Easter egg for doing the little quest from the Asari consort. Mm-hmm. And for the Mass Effect fans who remember the Asari consort is this, mysterious sultry figure in the beginning of mass effect one 
who has this kind of questionable advice service <laughs> that she gives people on the Citadel. Um, and it's strongly insinuated that her advice isn't just um, verbal. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and she rewards Shepard with this weird trinket that if you don't happen across this planet on Elatania or this this uh, ruin on Elatania, it just doesn't matter. So, you, you yeah. know, the, and it never comes full circle. Um, but the Prothean sphere itself um, is what gives Shepard this vision. And now and now this is the second vision that Shepard has received from the Protheans, the first being the Prothean beacon. And so what we can gather in terms of the lore is that Shepard, for some reason, can understand Prothean messages. And the Protheans weren't like the first super intelligent race of the galaxy. Mm -hmm. This is a huge revelation. This is a massive spoiler. Um, and there's going to be more spoilers in the second part of the show. <laughs> so if you don't like spoilers, um, maybe play a little bit first and come back and listen to the rest of the episode. Yeah. Um, but these are huge implications, I think, for the remainder of the trilogy and Mass Effect 4. Because the Protheans weren't the first and there's other myths that we're going to debunk in the second half of the show about the proteans things that are marketed to you by the codex itself in mass effect one and by characters in the game itself that there are facts that are given to you about the proteans that that turn out not to be really facts at all yeah yeah uh unreliable narrator that kind of thing yeah yeah very cool all right well let's move on let's go to the middle of the show we're going to do our show us your shepherds and uh talk a little bit to our audience and then we'll be back with some more lore for the second half message coming in patching it through i am sovereign and this station is mine i uh, like the sound of that crap i did it again i jumped in i always feel like it ends there but there's uh there's another one uh i'm gonna get shot down at some point <laughs> um, well, hey, let's talk about our shepherd this week. Who do we have? Who do we have this week? I'm going to pull up the image. Of course. Um, and I believe I gave you the image. So this week yep. we have Commander Burton's Mira Shepherd. Um, so Commander Burton went with the default female shepherd. And so we're going to be showing a picture of the default female shepherd as she appears in the legendary edition yeah. of Mass Effect. With actual so. like hair that looks like hair. Yeah, and look skin at this. That texture. looks like skin. That looks amazing. Yeah, it's so good. Um, so if you're not if you're listening to this podcast and you're not watching it on Twitch, I highly encourage you uh, to go check it out on YouTube and look at the the pictures that we're showing because um, the the textures really are impressive. Um, but enough about Legendary Edition. Let's talk about Mira Shepard. She is a Vanguard personal favorite class right there uh vanguards are really you know russian charge in head first uh, they're all from russia pistols <laughs> they're, all they're, russian? All, they're all russians um <laughs> although you know this the uh default female shepherd looks like she could be russian she could be russian so it could be a thing yeah um mira shepherd and commander burton if you're here in chat drop a line to let us know if they're if if your shepherd is russian um because <laughs> her background is earthborn and Commander Burton says that uh, his uh, his or her, I'm sorry, I don't know your uh, gender or your preferred pronouns, Commander they, Burton. We'll just say uh, there. Commander Burton's um, shepherd and shepherd's mom 
grew up around the red sand cartels, which is probably how Shepard acquired her biotics. Mm-hmm. Mom ran a clinic. Mm-hmm. And red means Russian. So that all tracks. That, well, there we go. Mm-hmm. I think we've stumbled upon a interdiscord conspiracy theory. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but Mira <laughs> Shepard is also a war hero. And Commander Burton writes that Mira Shepard is very earnest and serious and asks too many questions, tries to do the right thing, and is paragon all the way. Uh, Commander Burton also writes that of the key decisions that Mira Shepard had reached, she spared the Rachni Queen and continues to spare her. She trusts her to keep her word. She saved Ashley, didn't cry about it, but it was a close thing. Saved Rex and saved the Council, too. She appointed Udina because he looks like the sort of <laughs> sort of person to enjoy politicking, which he definitely does. Uh, she immediately zeroed in on Morden, Morden Solis, who is basically her mom, but on Omega. <laughs> She's committed to helping him cure the genophage. And she saved Samara. Uh, she destroyed Project Overlord and the Collector Base. According to Commander Burton, all of her squaddies survived the suicide mission. Mm. Jack calls her a Girl Scout, and she's only exaggerating a little bit. (laughs) She brokered peace between the Geth and Corians, and she romanced Liara, and she chose the synthesis ending. So she was too fond of Legion to let his death be in vain. All right. Well, very cool. Thank you for sharing your shepherd with us. And if you guys are interested in having your shepherd uh, on the show, then... Please share that on our Discord, the Robots Radio Discord. And thank you to everybody who tunes into this podcast. You guys are awesome. We're getting some really nice download numbers. Uh, It seems that there are a lot of you guys tuning in. So you must be sharing it with your friends, which is super helpful. We've gotten a number of other reviews in. In fact, you know what? I think we just got another new one in today. Let me... I forgot, I forgot about this until just now because I actually pulled it up not too long ago and then I was like, wait a minute, new review. I haven't, this is going to be brand new to me too. Brand new to you too. This one. Yeah. Um, oh, yep. Yep. Brand new one right here. Get this. Uh, this one comes from Maddie V12123 in the United States who writes, finally, five stars. I've always been a massive fan of this franchise and ever since the legendary edition was announced, I've been looking for my Mass Effect fix to hold me over. Love all the other lore casts from you and seeing you cover Mass Effect was like Christmas morning to me. So thank you, Maddie. Appreciate that. I'm glad you are into the other shows and um, I mean it's a lot of the, I'm learning as much as you guys are in some ways. So it's it's a lot of uh, Sam doing the the actual teaching on this one and kind of me coming along for the ride. But I, I appreciate that. Thank you for, for tuning into the other shows as well. Um, so yeah, that one came in recently and uh, yeah, that's the only other new one we have since the last episode. So thank you. If you want to help out the show, tell your friends, leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, even if you don't listen to it on that platform. If you have an apple account you can do that and we'll read out your review on a future episode and that's what we've got we might put together a patreon we've had some people asking about things like hey it'd be really cool to guest on the show and we do a thing with some of my other the other lore casts the fallout lore cast and the elder scrolls lore cast dungeons and dragons cyberpunk where um at a certain tier you can join us at the end of every month in order to chat with us about you know, different topics about the game and, and your experiences and things like that. So uh, that might be something we throw together sometime in the next uh, few weeks. I don't know. We'll, we'll think about it. We'll put together some tiers and we'll see what we can come up with that you guys might be interested in. And that would help support the show as well. So stay tuned for some of that stuff. Um, but tell you what, let's get back to the rest of the lore. Here we go. Spit it out. Or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought. 
So, you know what I find even more interesting than this ancient astronaut knots idea is uh, in recent years is the discoveries of uh, that, that have come about through modern science when it comes to our history and the stars and space and all the things that we've been able to uncover. Um, when it comes, like you asked the question about like uh, ancient astronauts and like the building of a pyramid or something like that. And you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And the best explanation I've ever found for something like that is that human beings are very capable, very, like, we can be very smart. We're able to do amazing things, especially after, over long periods of time. And if you were to imagine hundreds of years of experience with families passing down information from, you know, parents to child, children about sculpting and moving stones, like how good we would get. Like, think about it in your own lifetime. If you become an expert at something, you can become really, really good at it. Now, imagine extrapolating that for years and years and years and years, generations and generations and generations. Eventually, you become very, very good at doing something like that, like building a pyramid. It's not just, you know, it, like, this is what you do with your life. We, we are human beings. We are like the people in the past were no less intelligent than we are. They're very capable of those kinds of things. And so I, I find that very interesting. I also find very interesting the ideas of and this is, this is still kind of an aside here. Not so much that human beings have some sort of mixed ancestry in our own world with like aliens, but that and we've talked about this a little bit that at different times in history, there were multiple intelligent species on the planet. You know, like up until what 20,000 years ago or something like this, maybe even less than that, we we coexisted as Homo sapiens with Neanderthals. And uh, I believe it's actually pronounced Neanderthals. And that is evident in our DNA. And that's something that, you know, like you're saying, like maybe the ability to use biotics is something that's genetically attached to some sort of interbreeding thing. Well, if you look at, you know, most people outside of uh, African modern African descent have between like one and a half and five percent Neanderthal DNA in them like that's that's really interesting like what does that mean how does that affect us you know and these are the things that you can pull from in our own real science real world experience and kind of extrapolate that into a fiction like this so yeah if we if we were able to die, like what if what if we did find that alien underneath you know the pyramid somewhere and looked at their DNA and then realized that there are strands of that that are actually copied in human beings that aren't in other mammals and then we were like oh wait we do have 0.03% of this alien dna in us and we we never knew you know like it could happen it would be neat oh yeah and i think that the writers of mass effect have to be avid fans of history if not students of history uh because when you're writing science fiction and when you're predicting the future it, you kind of have to have that basic knowledge of history to draw upon mm. and extrapolate ongoing themes because humanity itself is cyclical. The problems we face have new names and new people, 
but there are more or less similar problems that you can point to in the past. Yeah, people are people. We we make the same kinds of decisions. We make the same kind kinds of mistakes. We we love and we hate and we go to war and we make peace and we do all of these things over and over and over and over again. And that's just who we are. And history shows that. And even the the the, the stuff we're going through in our modern day society, although it's packaged differently, is really no different than things have happened in the past on a fundamental level. Um, but yeah. that's that's an aside. We'll we'll talk more about that stuff, I'm sure, in the future. So where where are we going with this? So okay, so the Protheans are gone. Do why do they matter anymore in the universe? Is there is there some sort of legacy that carries forward with them? Of course. Of course. And so, you know, we were talking about the past, but looking into the future, there are three big reasons why the Protheans, <clears throat> excuse me, are integral to the entire story of Mass Effect. And so I'm going to go through each of those reasons. One, the Protheans advanced tech sets up a legacy for the species who rise after their de- disappearance, after they they go extinct. So the standing on the they shoulders care. of giants thing. Exactly. Yeah. That is exactly what's happening. And because that is exactly how the Protheans rose to such heights. They stood on the shoulders of the Inusanan. Right. And the Inusanan stood on the shoulders of those who came before. Right. I mean, the, the, the universe is significantly older than several hundred thousand years. So, yeah. Exactly. And and I think that there's too little known inside the Mass Effect universe by the time Mass Effect 1 comes along. There's too little known about the Protheans and about the past before the Protheans that it's kind of like just generally assumed and it's given to you by the characters in Mass Effect 1 themselves and Mass Effect 2 and 3 and even the Codex itself. It ha- they all have you believe that the Protheans built the mass relays and the Citadel. And those, you know, those are two things, mass relays, the Mass Effect technology, the technology which created the very basis for the whole series. And it sets up the path of societal advancement for all of the spacefaring species in the Milky Way. All of the narrative would have you believe that the Protheans created this, but that's not true. Mm -hmm. The Protheans didn't. And so this is a huge spoiler. Don't listen if you don't want it spoiled. (laughs) According, Close your ears. (laughs) Keep the podcast going, but but don't listen. Um, but according to Sovereign, the Reaper, uh, the Reapers themselves created the Mass Effect relays and the Citadel in order to shape the evolution or, you know, cosmic imperative, however you want to put it, of every successful or successive intelligent alien species in the Milky Way. So put another way, the Reapers created these things so that every time a spacefaring race would evolve, they would evolve within the parameters that the Reapers set for them so that they could achieve the same outcome every cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's masterful manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's like a gardening technique where you set troughs and the plants are always going to grow in a certain pattern because of the, the shape of the landscape. They're just doing that on a massive scale with intelligent cultures. They're creating these pathways for for the development. Oh, right. And that, that, that's a great analogy um, because every single intelligent species in the Milky Way eventually makes the Citadel its home for galactic government because it's just built that way. 
it was designed for that it's too perfect not to mm-hmm. um the proteans do it the the inusanan or whoever was the apex civilization of, of their time did it uh the asari do it as soon as they discover the citadel and well that becomes an issue because shepherd also discovers that the citadel itself is a mass relay and it leads to dark space and it actually leads to the dark space where the reapers lie dormant between the cycle's extinction periods so Mm -hmm. while they're waiting for the next extinction period to come up they're just dormant in dark space and that's where the citadel mass relay goes to yeah they're sovereign yeah and that's sovereign's job sovereign's job is to come to come from dark space i'm sorry uh come to the citadel uh and then activate the Citadel's mass relay system as kind of a Trojan horse to allow all of the Reapers to flood in immediately. So then there's overwhelming force in the galactic heart of government. Mm-hmm. And it just makes for an easier extinction that way. Yeah, it's a, you're blitzkrieging um, the capital is what you're doing. And then everything is in chaos. Yeah, you have a wormhole right into the neural network. Right, right. Yeah, you're just shooting the enemy in the brain, <laughs> right? Yeah, your first shot is is just a shot in the brain, and then the rest of it is just cleaning up everything else. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't matter what helmet you have, um, yeah, <laughs> because that shot is going to be deadly every time. Yeah, and Shepard tries to warn the council about this, and big surprise, council doesn't have it and they won't listen. Uh, but it's okay. Shepard's there to save the day anyway. <laughs> um, so the second reason why the Protheans matter so much for the future of Mass Effect is because, as we said earlier, Javik, according to Javik, or I'm sorry, besides Javik. What we know is that the Protheans were entirely wiped out. So Javik is like the last remaining Prothean. That's what we know. That's the common knowledge within the Mass Effect universe. This is also not true. (laughs) Not entirely true. Mm -hmm. Most were killed. Almost all of them were killed. Yes. However, some of them still exist. Just not in their original state. And so the anyone who played Mass Effect 2 is is going to recognize this story. After the Reapers attempted to create another Reaper from Prothean DNA, the same way that they did with human beings, um, well, they failed because I guess something about Prothean DNA just didn't allow them to. And the Reapers resorted to then making the Protheans into their minions indoctrination was used against many protheans um back then and the problem is that the longer a being is indoctrinated the higher the neural decay becomes and eventually they become like husks and they're not really capable of complex tasks at all um so that's a problem and it's a problem if you're a reaper and you want a useful workforce which is you know ironic sounds like very similar to what the, happened with the Koreans. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. However, the Reapers tiptoe a fine line. They're ultimately, the Reapers are AI, uh, so they know not to make an AI. <laughs> <laughs> and they extensively alter the DNA of the Protheans so that the Protheans become these horrendous, monstrous creatures. They're still organic. They have been cybernetically enhanced, but they're still organic. And they alter it to such an extent that they, they, they now appear brown with glowing yellow eyes and wings and they become the collectors. 
So the collectors are the Protheans. Yeah. Uh, and I've, and I've got the picture on the screen spoiler. for anybody who, who isn't, isn't looking oh, at the screen awesome. right now. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so I, the, the picture on the screen, uh, if you're listening and you didn't see that, that is a picture of the collectors. However, what I really love about this photo is that it's ripped directly from the vision that Shepard receives. And how crazy is that, that they had planned forward so much so that they had already committed, the writing team had committed that the Protheans were going to be co-opted by the Reavers. So I just love that kind of uh, dynamic right there. And yeah, it shows a lot I'm of... Sorry, I'd make a terrible weatherman. I'm, I'm it, it's opposite, but it's, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Um, yeah, it's it's the uh, formation of the backstory in the world before actually writing the story of the games. Like, you can tell that they had a plan for how everything was laid out, even when they did the first game, before they knew it would be a success and they'd be able to do a second and third, that they still had a background for the world and, and the universe and the nature of what actually happened and... And all of that, which is, is cool because it really gives uh, the series depth. It does. It certainly does. And even if I'm incorrect in that, may, maybe they went back, you know, they retconned maybe. Maybe they did. I'm not sure. But maybe they went back, uh, you know, after the fact and they inserted something like that in the project. Even if that's the case, it's still an incredibly written story where you have this, you know, um, utopic society of the protheans before all of the intelligent species and even they fell and mm -hmm. then they were co-opted into this indoctrinated servant race who then become the protagonists of mass effect 2 i think it's too easy for mass effect fans to look at one and three and to go yes absolutely the bad guys are the reapers in mass effect one and three and mm -hmm. then two is just some weird you know alter thing that doesn't really happen it's like this film noir that's you know, just kind of inserted in there. Right. I think it's too easy to say that because you're losing sight then that the reality is you were fighting the Protheans, the indoctrinated Protheans the whole time. And you were fighting the Geth the whole time in Mass Effect 1. And the Geth are really just indoctrinated servants right. of the Reapers. Right. Uh, in Mass Effect 1. Yeah, they're not, not, they're not really the bad guys. They're the, the puppets of the bad guys. Exactly. And because of Shepard's success at the end of Mass Effect 1 in defeating Sovereign and preventing him from allowing all the Reapers through the Citadel, that's why the Collectors kind of start abducting entire human colonies in Mass Effect 2. Because Harbinger, the Reaper, does an about-face and goes, oh crap, like, <laughs> you know, we got to change plans here. Uh, now let's make a human Reaper and we'll go from there. So the Protheans continue to matter in and throughout Mass Effect 2 because they are actively being used to do the reaper's bidding mm -hmm. um and so there's a this brings me to my third and final point about why the protheans continue to matter and that is because of the crucible uh okay for those who don't know the crucible is a weapon and it was a massive infinitely complicated and intricate weapon developed over multiple cycles so multiple rises and or rises rises and falls <laughs> sure of, yeah yeah of yeah. intelligent species uh -huh. and it's theorized that the protheans you know um might have been responsible for creating this but that's quickly you know uh uh squashed in mass effect 3 because what you discover is the protheans actually happened across the plans for the crucible and they contributed to them but they didn't create them. Mm. 
So the Crucible is designed to be this weapon that's this ultimate deus ex machina weapon, which will finally get rid of the Reapers. And the Protheans become very close to completing the device. You learn this from another Prothean VI in Mass Effect 3. But in the process of constructing the Crucible, some Protheans came to believe that the Reapers could be controlled with the device. Doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> uh, sounds a lot like the Elusive Man. Sounds a lot like Cerberus, who was marketing hard, saying, you know, you just don't understand the power shepherd you know you don't right. understand that these reapers don't need to be destroyed you know we can harness their energy and he, and he markets that at the end of mass effect 2 as well you know he tries to get shepherd to save the collector base because he wants to control it he wants to wield the power and so that same exact argument happens during the prothean cycle and some protheans believe that you can control the reapers with the crucible well, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> it doesn't work. And those same Protheans who were marketing for that uh, and lobbying for that, well, they were indoctrinated sleeper agents. And they ultimately sabotage the deployment of the Crucible. And that's it for the Protheans. Mm -hmm. You know, that's uh, that's it besides Javik and the Collectors. Yeah. Um, this so whole, that's what happens. This whole theme of, like, uh, humanity doing the same things over and over and over again plays out in this and it's not just one race it's intelligent species do the same things over and over and over again they make the same mistakes um it, it's interesting like th these themes are universal i mean they're they're very human themes but in this world they're you know uh, intelligent species the nature of power power corrupting trying to take hold of power and wield it for yourself rather than taking the safer option and just removing it you know like <laughs> all of these different themes keep coming up um i mentioned last week that i've been watching the expanse and that that show's awesome and there's some similar themes in that this whole question of like do we take this new discovered thing and I won't, I won't no spoilers in case you guys want to go watch that show you should it's awesome if you, especially if you like space stuff um, but should should we rid the universe of this thing or should we wield it for ourselves in order to try to harness the power of it and it's I mean how how far back does that theme go this idea of like trying humans trying to capitalize on powers they don't understand and ultimately destroying themselves because of it or creating more damage i mean that's the theme of something like frankenstein that's the theme of you know this idea of like meddling with sciences that we don't understand um but like i'm sure that's a theme in mythology this idea of um i mean heck even uh uh, I can't think of it off the top of my head um but it, it, this comes up over and over and over again which is cool because it comes up here too yeah, and it kind of reminds me of uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, cast it into the fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. Don't don't wield the power of the ring. It will corrupt you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, and there's also the theme of creation rising up against the creator. Right. And I think, you know, it's not a direct parallel, but I think that you can make that argument that the intelligent races of the Milky Way, the humans, the Turians, the Corians, the Volus, all of them in fighting the Reapers and ultimately winning they have broken that cycle right because the reapers were for we don't even know how many cycles we don't know how long yeah we don't know how many hundreds of thousands of years they were doing that right were, were they the winners and, of the first cycle 
that were then harvesting everything else that came after them. So you know? this is exactly yeah. why the Leviathan DLC in Mass Effect 3 is an absolute must. And I'm very happy to say it's going to be part of the Legendary Edition. So everyone has to play that mission <laughs> go, before go the end of it. Mass Effect 3. You got to. You have to. Because it goes into it. And I don't want to spoil a future episode because we got to do an episode on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, but there are such massive lore implications. And it talks about how the Reapers themselves were created. And... It's it again goes to that that same theme that we've just explored last week of why it's not good to create intelligent, you know, synthetic life. Yeah. Um, if your organic life, that is right. right. Um, yeah, so, that always goes bad. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's, you know, that that kind of just brings us full circle into saying the Protheans battled intelligent synthetic life. That, in fact, is how they built their society and built their empire that they had uh, out of a common enemy of synthetic life. They succeeded there, um, but then they learned not to create AI. And then they battled through the same problems that humanity did with Cerberus, uh, thinking that you could control uh, the, the Reapers. And I didn't mention this, but the Protheans also battled with supremacist groups within their own factions and the reapers mm. i think talk about this i can't point to a specific line exactly but the reapers basically take credit for installing uh chaos and discord within the different intelligent civilizations so they basically take credit for these terrorist organizations that are you know uh extremists and commit these acts of terror and, and yeah. things like that basically Jeez. it's all just to disrupt Jeez. the plan oh man how 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 current is that <laughs> like, I know <laughs> this idea of false information in order to manipulate people and cause division like uh, I mean this is countries in this on this planet have been doing that for hundreds of years now that's the, like the colonist period was all about that it was about creating division among the, the those being colonized so that they can't unite against the colonizers um, and now now it's being you know social media and the internet is being used to, to put out misinformation for all of us to fight with each other in order for powers beyond our control to gain more influence over our government and things like that like all of this stuff is it's all it's all a mess um in in chat uh nexata writes the, the leviathan dlc should have been part of the main story um, agreed that's a hot take but and i got uh crucified on reddit for that by the way <laughs> oh of course it was reddit you know yeah of course yeah of course um so, but yes agreed. and uh eric uh eric morian says or morlin I think it's an L. Uh, I'm itching so bad to play. Just pre-ordered the legendary collection. Yeah, yeah. Hey Eric, um, just quick thing. Uh, have you played Mass Effect One? And if so, please tell me that you went to Moreland's famous shop uh, <laughs> because Moreland is actually a Salarian uh, shopkeeper in Mass Effect One on the Citadel. Yeah. So. If you yeah. haven't, you gotta, you gotta go. I mean, you kind of have to now. You kind of have to. Yeah. That's uh, you gotta, you, yeah. you should get a little sign, put it up in front of your, uh, your home. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess moral of the story is, you know, if, if you hear people preaching new, like, you know, uh, division and things that are just dividing us, just blame it on the reapers. Say but, you guys, you're probably in touch. Yeah. Don't fear the reaper more cowbell, you know, <laughs> That's a, that's a callback. Um, well, awesome, dude. Thank you for this. This has been really, really cool um, getting into this stuff. There's a lot of a lot of details here that I, I wasn't aware of. Um, uh, 
I'm so, I'm so looking forward to jumping back into this game. It's the 25th now. We've got what three weeks left, and then yeah, about that. Yeah, and then we'll be able to play the Legendary Edition. I know a lot of you guys are going to be jumping into it too. Um, so what do we have coming up in in the following weeks? I know you've got some big changes going on with your life. That's right. Um, so I streamed this weekend, Mass Effect 1. I'm going to be streaming this week uh, when I can between packing things up for my move to the West Coast to Portland, Oregon. Super psyched to be part of the Pacific Northwest now, although I've heard that uh, newbies aren't exactly welcomed. That's just a typical city thing. Yeah. I'm used to that. Um, but very excited for that. I will be streaming Mass Effect 1, like I said. On the note of Legendary Edition, I officially pre-ordered. I made the decision that I'm going to be playing on Xbox. And even if I decide to get it for PC later, I'll just hand the physical copy to my girlfriend. And I, I never buy physical copies of games anymore. Yeah. Uh, I just don't. I always buy digital. But this one, this one, this I was like, I got to have the physical. You got to put it on this your shelf. Physical copy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Should I play it? Like, I've got a, a PS5. I've got my PC. I like sitting on the couch, but I like playing games on my PC because that's what I can stream from. I just, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll do this both. Would be a unique, <laughs> this would be a unique opportunity for you to play the first Mass Effect on PS5 because as mm -hmm. far as I know, it never released for PlayStation. Mm, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I did, I did play it on Xbox originally. So there is that. Um, if I get it on PC, I so fun little side story. I set up my phone... I've, I was inspired by Game Pass to look into, like, what can I do with my phone to play PC games on my phone? And so Game Pass works on your phones, so you can do that. And I was like, and then I, I fell down, like, a, you know, wiki hole about, like, how to set up your phone to play games. And, and then I realized, oh, you can use Bluetooth to connect your, like, Xbox controller to your phone. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then I was like, wait a minute, can I just stream games from my PC to my phone and use my controller on my phone so I could like sit on the couch with my wife watches you know like whatever crazy cooking show she's watching and like play my games on my phone right next to her and so yes you totally can so that's now what I'm doing so I might just do that I might just get it on PC and then I can like couch play while hanging out with my wife in the evenings and then if I want to stream it I can just continue it on PC like that might that might be optimal but Dude, can you? It's crazy to think about this. Like, I, I played Fallout 76 on my phone the other night, and I'm looking like the game is in like high, like high quality settings on my phone, and I'm like, it's it's almost like having a switch, but it's not. And the and the delay because it wasn't running to like a cloud out on the internet. It was just running on my Wi-Fi. It was almost non-existent. It was it was almost like just playing it on an old TV that has bad delay on the old TV, right? It's. It wasn't bad at all. Do you happen to know if you can do that with Microsoft Surface? Yes, I think you can. Yeah, if if okay. there's well, if there's an app, will love to know that. If there's an app that'll do it on whatever app store, so if it's like an Android based device or an iOS device, then you just have to download. There's like a Moonlight app, and then there's a, the Steam one that both of them do it. Yeah, it's called Moonlight. Moonlight will let you play any any as long as the game has controller support like it would be tough to do mouse and keyboard because the screen's small and you know digital keyboard would be weird on a little screen but if you can play it with a controller you can just prop up your phone you can get a little mount for the controller or you can get those little controllers that like pop on the sides and then it looks like a switch and then now your phone is basically a switch 
But can you imagine playing like That's Legendary cool. Edition with like high res textures, 3D environments, all just on your phone? And it's small enough that like the resolution doesn't have to be super high, but the the edges of everything look real smooth because the dots are so small on your phone, right? So it looks real crisp and clear. Uh, plus, most of these phones are OLED, so like they're really sharp and contrasty. Like, it's it's like this is my new favorite thing, and I don't know why enough people why people aren't talking about this. Yes, I can't really do this outside of my house. I, I suppose you could set up like an external server to your home, but like I'm not going to do that. But at least when I'm home, or I'm just lay in bed. I can play Mass Effect on my freaking phone in bed. That's oh, nuts. That's awesome. That's yeah. so cool. I'm definitely going to look into that. Yeah. That's, man, that's pretty cool. And you brought up a good point. I wonder, did they did they confirm whether Mass Effect Legendary Edition is going to be on Game Pass? Uh, I don't think it has. I don't think they mentioned that it will be. Okay. Uh, because I know that EA Play, you know, is part of Game Pass now. And so uh, a lot of EA titles are yeah. on there. Um, uh, will it be on it Game is, Pass as I of have... Fe- February third? Uh, given the technical consider the game is probably appearing. Yeah, it probably. Uh, it will probably appear on Game Pass upon release. It would be likely. So there's still just speculation about it, but it could. It could well, be a thing. If it is, then I have bought the physical copy for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you get to keep it. It's like it, it may not be That's on there true. forever, right? Like. I suppose so. Yeah, my girlfriend also has Game Pass, so there you go. Um, yeah, I, you know, the, like maybe I'm sounding a little bit old here, but uh, I miss the days of buying the physical copies, even though the digital copies are just way more convenient. But I oh, do sure. miss like having your game collection and it's like you know all these different CDs, and you look at it and you're like, ah, yeah, that's mine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Know? So this is this is how you want to you want to feel young again. This is how old I am. I remember when. Video games were on small cases, right? But PC games were on big boxes. The boxes were this big. And you would walk into a store that there was no EB, there was no GameStop. EB was like before GameStop, right? It was places like Babbage's. You would go into Babbage's in the mall. Babbage was a uh, mathematician, I believe. But Babbage's in the mall, and the you would look at the shelves, and the game cases were like this big. Like, I don't know if you can see that. Like... <laughs> so like the this. size of like a book, like a like board a game book. like a board game size box oh, right um, and they would they did it on purpose because back in the day you would get like the you'd get like the discs for the game discs floppy discs for the game or eventually CDs but then you would also get like a map and a huge game manual book with like the history of the world and like they did that with Morrowind yeah I remember that yeah yep, I got that yeah Morrowind I think think might have actually released with a big box and a small box. I think that might have been during some of the transition. I got the big box yeah. game of the year edition. Yep. It was like, yeah, it was like that big. And uh, it was like in the thirds <laughs> and then they showed Morrowind, Tribunal, Blood Moon. Yeah. And they came with a map, war book, and it was sweet. Yeah. And then they got to, when they switched to Little Box and it felt like I wasn't buying something as cool anymore. I was like, that's just a Little Box. All right. Yeah. And those boxes, like the art was always really cool. So you could put it like you could like I would stand the boxes up on like a shelf, you know, by my PC. I'm sorry, I'd have like cool looking boxes around. I probably got rid of them years ago, but I should have kept them. Oh well, memories can't go back. Oh yeah. Now everything is Speaking just of collector's digital. editions. The uh, Mass Effect Legendary Collector's Edition, or whatever it's called, whatever edition that they have for that, I'm pretty sure it comes with a wearable N7 helmet. What? Which I was like super super close to checking that out to buy it but then i'm like eh, do i want to spend that much money i don't know 
I'm the looking this up. Seven helmet is pretty cool. I'm looking this up right now. Why can't I find it? Legendary cash? No. Legendary edition collector's cash edition. Is that what? Oh, it is. Oh, yes. Is that what it's called? Yes. It is called the legendary cash. And oh my God, hold on. I'm going to save this image and put it up on screen right here, right now. Oh, it's not. Oh, I have to, oh yeah, I'm looking at it. All right. Hold one second, chat. Just like hang out for just two seconds. I promise. Oh man. It's a one to one scale. This is like, you can just wear this. You could dress up as Shepard with a helmet. Um, you could like do like a Daft Punk Shepherd crossover. <laughs> yes, totally. All <laughs> Dress right. up in like a suit. Check this out. Here you go. Shepherd helmet on. That's it. For for anybody listening to the audio version of the show, it is. I don't know which helmet this is, but it says N seven on the back. It's got like, it's got like a dark gray sloped front with like a, a blue visor. It's a red visor in the box, but on the oh, image, yeah. it's a blue That's visor. Shepherd standard helmet. That's a standard helmet. Yeah, um, this Shepard standard Onyx uh, in seven helmet. Yeah, this looks badass. Somebody should wear this. OK, so here's the thing. Anybody who wants to get into streaming should buy this and wear it on stream and just role play as Shepard <laughs> oh, <laughs> while man. you stream games. It, it's really hot. I've did done this we... with the mechanist. Helmet. You can see the mechanist helmet on the behind me back there. I did that with that for a yeah. while. And oh, God, it gets hot inside a helmet. But I really want to get that for streaming this podcast. You should totally do it. it, it here's, the, here's my other tip, though. Like, you can't poke holes in the top, so the air can't escape through the top. But you could set up a fan below you that can blow up into the helmet. And then that'll help cycle the air. Because th that's really the worst part about wearing a helmet like that on stream. Um, if the, as long as you can see clearly through the eyes. If the eyes are fine, then you should be all right. Oh, yeah. But the heat, yeah, after I about an so. hour of, of just rebreathing your own air inside a helmet kind of gets old. <laughs> it's getting foggy in the. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, and since, and since we're in the COVID and that count as a mask, can you yeah, go just to walk around that require a mask with an N7 helmet? I suppose you could. I mean, who's going to say like, so oh, I'm sorry, you got to take off that helmet right. and put on a mask. Like, sir, please remove your totally badass helmet. Totally badass helmet. <laughs> yeah, sir. It looks like you're ready for battle. But I don't think you're ready to battle COVID. You see that, put on a mask. You see that morality spinner? You see that the morality? Hold on, I'm pulling the image up again. Morality, the acceptance letter, the steel case, prints. Morality is this something else on the list of stuff? It's like literally a spinner, and I, oh, down to the bottom right. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Use it to make decisions instead oh, of flipping a coin. Yeah. Like what would Paragon Shep do? What would Renegade Shep do? That's funny. That's funny. That's awesome. Well, this has been super fun. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Uh, thank you for being here on the live stream, Twitch chat. You guys are awesome. I love all the comments during the during the show. Uh, Sam, thanks for doing this. Uh, anything else you want to you want to share before we get going? Are we are we gonna be are we gonna be back at a normal time next week or is that? Um... Yes. So okay. next week we will be, but the week after that, that is when I will be driving. So at that time. I be driving to Montana or through Montana and on my way to Yellowstone. So that's going to be a long be drive. <laughs> it's a four day drive. Um, Holy crap. Yeah, it's pretty long. Um, but my girlfriend and I and then our families are coming. We're super psyched about it. It's going to be fun. But next week we will be covering another installment of this sub series on the races of Mass Effect. And we're going to cover the monogendered 
fantastic blue biotic experts, the Asari. Awesome. 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 And then the week after that, we will we will be off for a week. Uh, yes. If we can cram together an episode in some other time, we might just release one on the audio feeds. So if you if you aren't following this podcast on the audio format, uh, make sure you do that, because anytime we can do a live stream and actually have a video, things will still go up on the live feed if we're able to record an audio episode. So that's the way to make sure you don't miss anything. Um, and we're available on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, all, all the different players. So just go go look that up and make sure you're subscribing on there as well. Um, but for most of the time, we'll be here for the live show. And then this this live show will also go up video format on YouTube. So you can always go to the Robots Radio YouTube yeah. and check that out as well. Um, I've got all my stuff, all my normal stuff going on. I have a new show I've been doing um, during the weekdays at noon Eastern. So that's like 9 a.m. Pacific. I am doing the Robots Radio show. And the first part of the show is a good 15, 20 minutes of me going over the latest news in gaming over the last 24 hours only the hottest stuff and some hot takes on some hot news and then different people who are parts of the community like like sam are jumping in for the second half of the show where we're just chatting about some of the news and, and our thoughts about things and having some really cool chats uh, also also along with our our live chat so guys come hang out with us this is going to be an everyday thing in the middle of the day uh right on this on the robots radio Twitch channel. So uh, every weekday, so not necessarily weekends, but awesome stuff. You can always come by and, and swing in for that. Um, also playing games and doing things in the afternoons, in the evenings. And then also there's the Robots Radio Rocket Club for anybody who's interested in setting up your own podcast and you want some help with that. It's a it's a program we have and a group of people that are doing some awesome stuff. And I'd love to help you out with that. Um, I'm happy to answer questions on our Discord, so chime in if you have any questions about this show or anything else. And until next time, everyone, stay safe out there. Try not to uh, create an AI that takes over the universe, or uh, where did the Protheans go wrong? Try, Be too organized? Try not to, maybe, <laughs> maybe try not to let terrorist cells gain too much power politically. There you go. Let's just, sabotage yeah. your crucible. Yeah, there you go. That sounds good. All right, guys. We'll see you. We'll see you next time. Thanks for being here. See you guys later. Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at Mass Effect Lorecast at gmail.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.